Hiya here. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Dylan Johnson. And I'm Ryan Hill. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from this upcoming weekend and our box office predictions for last weekend. That's right. Do the most random, unexpected thing that you can do that isn't turning off this podcast because we are talking about the multiverse movie of the year. And no, we're not talking about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. In this episode, we are talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. Let's verse jump right into it. All right, first we are going to talk about some news. CinemaCon was a couple weeks ago, but all the studios were there and they gave presentations to NATO. No, not the one that's dealing with all the Ukraine stuff. The National Association of Theater Owners, that NATO. They were talking to all the the theater owners. NATO. Yeah, the most (laughs) crucial NATO there is. And they were saying, hey guys, our industry is still afloat. Here's all the movies that are hopefully going to be good and bring in audiences so that you don't get put out of business. And so we're going to talk through some of the presentations real quick that the studios gave Sony. They kicked it off and they announced some amazing things. There's a new movie after the amazing success, uh, amazing success of Morbius. We have El Muerto starring Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny. Indeed, the newest Spider-Man villain to get a movie. What's hilarious is he only appeared in two Spider-Man issues. Sure. Two ever. Why yeah. did they pick this random character and be like, that's the one? Because Bad Bunny. I mean, Bad Bunny, I'm sure, will be a draw for people, but what? I just don't get it. Does not make sense. Yeah, no. I mean, Sony's always been really, really, really bad with the Spider-Man stuff. All the way since the Raimi movies. Like, they're just consistently shit at it. No matter who's doing it, no matter who they hire, they just keep fucking it up, bro. They just keep making bad decisions. That's very true. They have also announced, confirmed, that Venom 3 is going to happen. And Ghostbusters Afterlife, the sequel to that film, has also been confirmed. Okay, and so the-, the Morbius thing you wrote in was a joke. <laughs> yeah. Morbius, I said Morbius 2 through 9 were greenlit. Not the case. I want we'll you to know to- that I almost started reading that without first. Yeah. first I almost said it without first reading it. And it would have sounded like a jackass. Now you're good. Yeah, we'll have to wait to hear whether or not eight sequels to Morbius will be confirmed. Probably not going to happen, though. Got to be honest. I'm going to take the the odd route, and I'm going to bet that it will. I'll bet $2. I mean, the points have to be so far against it that if I bet $2 <laughs> and it comes true, I'm like a millionaire. That's true. You are your betting man. We'll see how it I pays off. betting man. Probably not well. Yep. And finally, they mentioned that across the Spider-Verse Part 2, will now be titled Beyond the Spider-Verse. And they also got delayed. So Across the Spider-Verse, I think we talked about four, 2023, yeah. and Beyond the Spider-Verse 2024. Bummer. So it's going to be Into the Spider-Verse, Across the Spider-Verse, and Beyond the Spider-Verse. Indeed. But what could be Beyond the Spider-Verse? Honestly, I'm glad they are doing that, though, because it would have been weird to have into the Spider-Verse, and then Across the Spider-Verse Part 1 and Across the Spider-Verse Part 2. I'm glad that they just renamed it to make it a trilogy rather than a movie and and two parts to a sequel. Agreed. I think it's the proper route to go. Yep. Also, after Sony was Warner Brothers, they had a 
little thing for Barbie, which is being directed by Greta Gerwig, starring Margot Robbie. It will be opening in summer 2023, which is on the same day as Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer biopic. Who's going to make more money at the box office? We'll let you know in a year. <laughs> it's so far from now. Tika, you don't want to bet on that one? Uh, honestly, I couldn't. I couldn't until like I see the trailers and I see the hype for it. It's just so far from now that like I could see people not being super interested in Oppenheimer and people being super interested in Barbie or vice versa. Like, it's just so, so far from now. This is very true. I just think it's funny that two like very distinctly different movies are coming out on the same day in the middle of summer, <laughs> like surrounding all those other blockbusters. We just get Barbie and Oppenheimer. It's pretty funny. So we'll see how mm-hmm. yeah the little head-to-head plays out. Yep. We also have news about Shazam 2 starring Dane Helen Mirren uh, opening December Perfect. 20- Yes. Flawless casting. It's going to be great. Uh, it is opening December 21st now instead of opening the 16th of December alongside Avatar. So hopefully that'll allow it some breathing room and it'll be able to pull a Jumanji to Avatar's Star Wars Episode 7. Yeah. Probably won't be that successful, but hopefully it'll you know get things. I like the first Shazam. Yeah. And you did too, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I mean, it wasn't the best thing, but it was decent enough for sure and then we have Baz Luhrmann's Elvis that got uh, a trailer played and then Baz Luhrmann came out and talked about it and that was uh, received well by the people that were attending CinemaCon so be on the lookout for that since the trailer came out and as we've been getting closer and closer to its release date I'm getting more and more excited for Elvis I'm super excited for Elvis because the last movie of his that I watched was Moulin Rouge, which is amazing. Mm. If the last movie I'd watched had been like Greg Gatsby or Romeo and Juliet or something, I probably wouldn't be excited. But Moulin Rouge is so good. And I had such a great time watching it that I am very, very excited for Elvis. Very excited. So that'll be fun to talk about yep. in June, late June yep. of this year. And, and the last thing with Warner Brothers is that they had no mention of Ezra Miller during their flash discussion not a not a reference not an apology not a not a we're keeping an eye on him they just skirted right past it very true they did talk a lot about michael keaton though so we'll see Uh, in a year i'm sure they're hoping that everything has blown over but we'll see when they start doing marketing again for it if they really heavily lean into the batman character in the flash movie yeah, maybe they pushed it so that they could have some uh, recovery with the PR with Ezra Miller. Well, that I think in, initially they did it because of VFX work, but it certainly was at uh, least that's what they claim. Well, they pushed it before the Ezra Miller thing, but yeah, it definitely helps their case that there will be some breathing room. They got yeah issues with Ezra Miller, Amber Heard in their DC films. Yes, they do. As if DC films didn't have enough trouble already. Um, all right, moving on to Disney. Let's talk about Avatar 2, officially titled The Way of Water. It's the mm-hmm. title, I suppose. Uh, yeah. The trailer is being shown in front of Doctor Strange, and it also just released online today. Have you been able to see it, or are you going to save yourself for the theatrical? I am going to live watch it right now on the podcast for the Please first don't. time. <laughs> Do not do that. <laughs> Just the sound of the trailer playing in the background of me going, oh, okay. Oh, oh, 
All right. Oh. It's Jake. Jake's only. Wow. Oh, wow. Look at that. Oh, they're blue still. Okay. That's a they're, lot of water. They're also teal now. You ready for that surprise? But yeah, it. Uh, well, I think it's the same shade of blue, just animated better. Well, no, there's like legitimately different colors now. One oh, is really? The, like the water, I'm assuming they're more like the water tribe. Oh, so there's they different races on the Avatar world. I, I suppose. What do you mean you suppose? You just described that they're... Never mind. Uh, well, yeah, but I don't know if they'll play it off as like different did, races. As did you watch the trailer? I did. And did you like it? I did. And you're excited? Yes. I mean, we've talked about this. I am an Avatar supporter. I'm excited for Avatar 2. And the trailer kicked that excitement right up even more. I'm loving awesome. it. First of all, the music I thought was great. It really does transport you to this like, is it fantastical still, what's his name? world. Huh? Is it still what's his name? Uh, I'm not sure. Because the original no. person who scored it uh, passed away, I believe. So I don't know if this is like his score that they have remaining or if it's the new person they brought in. This is a new guy who wrote the song, whatever the the... The feature song was for Avatar. I have zero clue. What is the name of the song? But I enjoyed it. And also the first couple of images. I thought the second image specifically that they showed was just breathtaking. Should have been the first image that they showed. But yeah, I think you should wait and watch it in the theater. No, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to watch the trailer. Particularly because I'm not the one who's super excited about Avatar 2, and I need to get more excited. Well, I would and I feel like a trailer would do it. say, in order to give it the fairest shot of... Bro, you always want to do this. You just want us to have different react, different opinions because by having different reactions. You want me to not do something, and then you do something, and then we approach it in a different way. But I also want to do the thing... It's not my intention at all. I want you to do to have the same reaction I did, and therefore I want you to see it in the best possible conditions, which would be in a theater. Instead of online on your phone or on a laptop. Bro, I'm not waiting until I see Doctor Strange to go see the trailer. I mean, you didn't care about it before, so it's not like you're jumping to watch it anyhow. So just wait. I kind of want to watch it. I'm just not going to see Doctor Strange for like a week and a half because I'm going on vacation. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. You're already not going to see like Doctor Strange for that long. And I think you can put off watching a minute and a half of Avatar footage. Tell you what, if we talk for another hour now about everything ever all at once and I forget about it and I leave for my trip, and I don't remember it until I'm on my trip, I probably won't watch it until I watch Doctor Strange. So you just got to count on me not remembering. Okay. Well, historically, you've been very forgetful about things that I've heard lately. So <laughs> this hopefully is true. Uh, all right. I'm going to blast through the remaining news. Let's do it. Lightyear is definitely going to theatrical release since they showed it at you know, the NATO convention. They showed the first 30 minutes there. It was a fantastic reception. People were apparently crying within those first 30 minutes. What? So, yeah. That's what people were saying. They were like, had tears streaming down their face. So it seems like it'll be another hit for Pixar, which bodes well for me since it's part of my roster. Okay. And Marvel, they, then they showed the first like 20 minutes of Doctor Strange. Of course, now it has been released. Kevin Feige also had a surprise appearance. He said he came from a retreat where they're working on the next 10 years of the MCU. Then he left and immediately went back on that retreat. Nice. And John Watts has left Fantastic Four. He's no longer going to be the director. 
Yeah, I'm sure we will find I out. know about that. Yeah. yeah, we'll find out a replacement sooner rather than later. I'm sure, uh, probably within the next week or something. Um, Paramount. They talk about Dungeons and Dragons. They have that movie coming out. They talk about Mission Impossible. They have Mission Impossible Seven, which is we got a part one and part two. It's called Dead Reckoning Part One, and it had Tom Cruise. They showed him like jumping off a cliff where they had to build scaffolding and a ramp because it wasn't cool. accessible. Like they had to fly people in to build that ramp so he could fly off of it. So my man is still going crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they also showed Top Gun Maverick, which was also really well received. And I said here a win for dads everywhere. I know me and my dad are going to go see it. I'm sure he will love it. You've seen the original, right? Yeah. I love that they gave Miles Teller Goose's uh, shit mustache, shit stain mustache, <laughs> just to make it perfectly clear that it's his son. Mm-hmm. Just for in sure. case you didn't know. Yeah, very clear about it. Uh, and Paw Patrol 2, another major sequel announcement. Woo! <laughs> so good for them. And then with Universal, this wasn't about CinemaCon, um, but it was related to Universal stuff. Fast X, their director also stepped away, but it was during the production of the film, like within the first Yikes. week, Justin Lin has left. And it's widely been reported that's because of Vin, D- Vin Diesel's behavior. So The Rock was proven right all this time later. Wow. And apparently... Uh, He's really not making it about family enough. <laughs> you need to put in more family. Apparently, This is the 10th one. It needs to have the most family in it. Apparently, they were supposed to make an 11th as well. Although, we'll see if that ends up happening. You can't say it's the final one and then make another. That's what I'm saying. I this thought isn't this was Attack on it. Titan. Yeah, good lord. Flashbacks. Uh, Louis Letelier is replacing Louis. it. Indeed. All right, now let's talk about the box office breakdown for April 29th to May 1st. That's not right. What was this past weekend? May 6th. To May, May 6th to May 8th. I don't know why you flubbed that, bro. Well, because it was written down. You this was from made a week ago. our script ugly. And I'll never forgive you for that. Ugly? Yeah. So you. starting in first place, I'm going to say it. Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness made $185 million. The original had an $85 million opening, so it made 100 more. It is currently at $450 million worldwide. Will it reach the billion dollar club without China? Do you think it has it's good enough to do that? Like Spider Man? I, th- I think that it will be able to cross a billion. I'm gonna say nine hundred and ninety-nine million. <laughs> because if it hits that number and doesn't cross, you would cry. I don't know if I'd cry because it's still a whole bunch of money, and I don't think that the one dollar will affect the roster that much. The one it will be the one million dollars. Well, it could be... 999 million plus 1 million is a billion. Okay, 999 million, 999,999 plus 1 dollar is a billion. Thank well, you. Well, it wasn't going to be that much of a prick. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, I don't care whether it hits a billion or not. I'm just caring whether or not it'll make a bunch of money. And it seems like it definitely will. Over yeah, it will definitely make a bunch of money. I, yeah, you're will, correct be in the 900 million range, I'm sure, and I think it will be able to cross that billion. So it bodes sure. well for me as one of my picks in the roster. Very pleased yeah. with that. Good choice. Thank you. The Bad Guys, in its third weekend, 9.7 million, so doing some solid holds, has 57 million domestic total. After that was Sonic 2. It has 6.9 million this past weekend. It is the highest grossing video game movie domestically with 170 million. Fantastic Beasts with 4 million, not doing so hot. 
86 Yikes. million domestic. Better overseas for a total of 363 million worldwide. Did I tell you I saw that with Spencer and you Brandon? Did? <laughs> It did was you see horrible. the second one first? I did. I watched it right before we went. Oh, so boy. I watched them back to back, and they were both god-awful. Yikes. <laughs> After Fantastic Beasts was everything everywhere all at once, it made $3.3 million. It is holding on to the top five. This is its seventh week in theaters, and it has made $41 million domestically. The Northman, $2.7 million. The Lost City, $2.5 million. That's $94 million domestic, and it might just crack the century mark. It's about to hit 100 Mm-hmm. The unbearable weight of massive talent, one point five million per sixteen million domestic total. I'd like Memory. to point out. What did you say that your opening weekend prediction was for unbearable weight? I think I was like twenty five. Yeah. So I was like ten million off. Yeah. Yeah. Not great. <laughs> no. It would have been good if it had that opening. It'd be good if it had that domestic total, but so far it is shy of that. Doesn't seem like it'll hit it, which is pretty sad. Yeah. Unfortunate. After that was Memory, which I've never heard of until now. 1.2 million. It's a Liam Neeson. Oh, movie. I have heard of that. You're right. Yeah. Once you said Liam Neeson, I knew what it was. Uh, and Father Stu running out the top 10 with 800,000. And just as a point of comparison, it has 19 million domestic total. So it might end up with more than unbearable weight. Which crazy. is crazy. Very crazy. Very, very crazy. Now it's time for our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend, May 13th through the 15th. This is the second weekend for Doctor Strange. It made $185 million domestically the first weekend. What do you think will end up around this weekend? I'm saying 70 to $75 million. I was going to say 65 to 70 Okay. so in I'm slightly below you. General ballpark, but yeah, somewhere around there. It'll probably take a hefty like 60% drop. Yeah, for sure. Probably north of that, yeah. Uh, and then two new films, Firestarter, which is a Stephen King superpower film where mm-hmm. Zac Efron stars as a dad. Yeah. Many times. And then Family Camp, which is <laughs> the description I wrote based solely on the poster that I've seen in the Oviedo Mall as I'm walking by, is it looks like a movie that would be in an early 2010s Disney Channel original film. Wow. I'm going to say trash. Yeah, I bet. I'm going to say no more than 10 million for each of those. Yeah, both are sub 10 million. Uh, and then just as yeah. a random uh, thing to throw out there about the box office, looking towards. Another pick on your roster. Jurassic World has been approved for China release. Let's go. So significant development there. And that'll definitely that's going to be a huge bump. For sure. Another billion dollar grocer, I'm sure. Coming oh, so easily. They're mm-hmm. bringing back all the OGs. Oh, it'll cross a billion. So easily. Uh, Indeed. All right. It's good now, to know I have a winner. <laughs> now let's finally verse jump into everything everywhere all at once dylan lead us off so it was written and directed by daniels which is the directing team daniel kwan and daniel scheinert they did swiss army man which i have not seen but i hear good things about from i've not seen yeah we should watch it together it'd be a good date night it is starring michelle Yeoh as evelyn kihi kwan as waymond who is the actor from Temple of Doom. He plays Short Round, and and he's also in Goonies. He hasn't been in a lot of things in a very long time, and now he's making his big return to the big screen. Jamie Lee Curtis as Deidre, Stephanie Su as Joy, and James Hong as Gong Gong. Now we're going to do our non-spoiler initial thoughts so that you can listen to this part, pause the show, watch the movie, come back, 
and listen to the rest of it, which is going to be spoiler filled. Ryan, I talked this movie up a lot, like a lot. When did you finally get a chance to see it? So I have seen it twice now. Awesome. The first time I saw it, I can't even remember. It was way back then because we've been trying to film the show for a while. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or record the show for a while. Um, But it was sometime in April, like very late April that last week. And then I went to go see it again this past Wednesday. So May, whatever, 4th, 5th, something like that. I think it was the 4th. Exactly. It was the 4th. Yes. Uh, And so I saw it. One Star Wars day. Yeah. So I saw it then. And let me tell you. It absolutely met the hype, number one. Oh, yes. So that was great. But so the second time I saw it, I loved it so much more. And I loved right? it the first time through. But there were like some qualms that I had, and I was thinking through it a lot and trying to see like ah, are some of these decisions what I would have hoped for. The second time I saw it, oh, the whole way through, I was just enjoying myself. It was a blast. So good. Mm-hmm. Both those theatrical experiences as well. Being in the theater, mm-hmm. like you said, it's a very funny film. You want to be with other people that you can laugh with. Were you able to be with people that, cool that you could laugh with? Both I was. Times? I saw it with Mason and James. On That's what I thought you guys were doing. I'm glad yeah. you guys got to go to Did they like it as well? They did. They both loved it. James, of really? course, absolutely loved it. And you know, Mason's, Mason's not a big movie guy. Yeah. And he's somewhat of like a tough critic. But yeah. he enjoyed it too. Like he had no bad things to say that he could point out. So awesome. It was great. James, for sure, absolutely loved it. Yeah. I Definitely felt like James with would. Him Mm-hmm. yeah but uh let me tell you the third time you watch it <laughs> that hits even more let me tell you it just keeps getting better it's one of those movies that gets better the more time you watch it it's yeah, I, awesome I, I agree it's a delightful film mm-hmm. uh, it's it's brimming with passion and personality which is why i also would want to see the swiss army man because yeah. it's such a weird premise that film and this one also definitely has weirdness in it as well but it's all so charming yeah and i assume that'll be the case with swiss army man um mm-hmm. but that's definitely like the biggest part about this that i latch on to is it's so original so stylistic so distinct with their voices uh it's just great great to see and it's also yeah. an an ambitious film which is the one thing that going into it i was a little hesitant about and after the first viewing i was wondering was it too much was it going like was it too much of an overload and whatnot but again the second time through it i was like no that was like pitch perfect stuff yeah the way that they're able to juggle all the bits of the story which itself is ambitious having all the like multiverses going on and mm-hmm. the different variations of the characters that you all have to make them distinct but you had to interweave in some ways like the ambitious story i think they're able to land on that like they hit the mark there and then with mm-hmm. the filmmaking as well from the cinematography editing set design certainly the visual effects Massive did you hear they have like five people on their vfx team like that was it yeah. for this entire film that's insane yeah. and this I stuff mean, looks better than most marvel green screens that they got going on now yeah. with their cgi fest i mean it's an a24 movie so it doesn't have a huge budget and so i think like a good chunk of it probably went towards making it as practical as possible to just <laughs> get away with it that way because they wouldn't have a lot of time to do cgi and then whatever else they could spare they just tried to limit which shots would be cgi and which wouldn't and then so because they have such few shots they can divide the budget more upon those shots and spend so much more time on those shots is my assumption of how they did it but it looks 
phenomenal. Like it looks just absolutely incredible. It does. It really, really does. And yeah, I would love to see the pre-production documents that they had for this thing. Oh, like all the God. planning that had to go into it. Cause there's so much detail in it, like so much meticulous effort they would have to do for all the match cuts they do, all the different effects that they have to pull off, like when they're going through the different verses and she's getting sucked back in the chair and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like all that stuff had to be so much work. And as you said, it's not a Marvel scale budget. It's not a studio feature. It's not from Universal or Paramount or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, no. Like it's an indie film and they were able to pull it off. And it's this way. so much better. Like the action is better. Oh, for the sure. The CGI yeah. is better. The story is better. Like they did it on a quarter of the budget. They did it. They made a better movie. Like through and through. Completely. There was no there was no part where I was like, okay, but at least Marvel does this better. No, it is it's all better. All of it. <laughs> yeah. Every bit of it is better. It, is. it truly is. It truly is. Yeah, I would go so far as to throw this a capital M masterpiece. Yeah. I think it absolutely earns that that moniker. And did I it's, tell you that having watched it three times, I was able to confidently add it to my top movies list. Your top is it going on the wall? Uh whenever I print more pictures, yes. Oh it is God. number eighteen. It is between Psycho and the social network. Dang, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah I don't know if I'd go so far because I don't have like the top twenty five uh enumerated or anything like that i don't have the yeah. solid list i was the first time i saw it i was like it's pretty good not top 100 i don't think very very good the second time i'm like okay that's like that's got to be within the top 50 or something or yeah, close bro. to it because that is very very good it's just a delight it's a and as i said mm-hmm. masterpiece i think we'll be hard pressed to get a better movie this year and there's stiff competition i mean we got the scorsese spielberg I'm rooting for Cameron and Chazelle yeah. and Aronofsky film as well. Like all these great filmmakers coming out with something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they'll be able to take down this film from the Daniels. Yeah. What's Aronofsky coming out with? Uh, it's called The Whale. Oh, is that this year? Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for that. I believe it's this year. Later this oh, year. Brendan Fraser is having a great comeback this year. He is. That'd Good be real him. fun to talk about later on. But yeah, everything, everywhere, all at once. It is... Definitely the darling of film people everywhere for these past few weeks. Yeah. Except I did go on Letterboxd, and there are people who will not be named that we know from the film group at UCF who gave it like one and a half stars and just said that they liked it when it first started. and It was just like a, a small drama about this Chinese immigrant family. And then when it got weird, they were like, I don't get it. This is, this is stupid. This is like what a middle schooler would write. Um, and I'm like, what are you fucking stupid? You and I will talk off the record. To of course. Figure I would out never what's name going anybody. Because this is insane. Um, well, that's a strength to this as well, is if you want that more grounded indie drama type feel, it's definitely present in this film. Like there's yeah. a lot of moments where they slow things down and lean into that emotional yeah. aspect. A lot of it is still heightened though. And we'll talk about some of that stuff. Like one of my favorite movie moments of this year it's just a mishmash of like them going over the top with the filmmaking elements, but then it's conveying this very intimate, personal emotion and feeling. Yeah. Like all that stuff is there. But then you also have like this crazy 
wacky multiversal story where they lean into absurd like gimmicks and bits yeah with great humor i mean this is like the the first time in a long time where i was laughing just so hard in the theater like it's been so long since a modern movie really hit me that hard with the comedy bro Mm -hmm. it was so funny yeah for sure so yeah i think no matter what you're coming in for whether it is any drama bit or that sci-fi premise that genre sort of film you can get it and i think the way that they merged them together is what makes it so special makes it so stand out it's really i mean this offers at least for me anything i could hope for in a film it offers i mean it's interesting it's entertaining thought-provoking and moving it hits all those checks all those boxes perfectly Mm -hmm. so yeah i don't know hopefully you will if you go ahead and see it will have the same reaction that Dylan and I have had because it is a fun time. Yep. And even if you don't end up like resonating with any of the uh, themes or things like that, or don't connect with the characters, it is just a very visually dazzling mm-hmm. experience. Like it's just yeah. great. So hopefully you will have a positive reaction, go out and see it and then come back and join us for the spoiler talk. We're about to get into. Yeah. I got to say, this is the first time this has only happened a few times in my life, but this is the first time since Parasite where I watched a movie like in theaters and I had such an amazing time that I knew I had to see it like immediately again and bring the people that I love to go see it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember watching Parasite and being like, that was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Everybody I know has to go and see this movie and I have to bring them to it. And this is another one that did that for me. And a lot of movies that I see don't do that. Like it's very, very rare. And I mean, it just, it hits so, so hard. Agree. Absolutely agree. All right. So let's start talking about some of the nitty gritty aspects of the film, the specific things about it that stick out to us that we enjoyed. I'm um, just starting out at the beginning. I do like that from the jump, it straps you in and says, come along on this ride with us. And if you can keep up great, if you can't, sorry, you better find out how to. Because it doesn't slow down in the beginning portion at all. And that's just yeah. the indie drama part. So it's supposed to be like the most grounded, the bit that you think you'd be able to fully understand. Mm-hmm. But it's just very snappy, very quick, very frenetic pacing from the beginning as it plunges you into this uh, familial drama. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great. Again, it definitely yeah. it sets the tone for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you are able to follow along, and you enjoy what you're seeing in that opening moments, then it's a good sign for the rest of the picture. Yeah, those first eight minutes really set up the whole movie incredibly well. They set up a lot of the bits they do with like the 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 movie that they're watching with the singers and the googly eyes. Uh, Jenny Slate's whole character, a little bit of reference to uh, Biff Whiff, who's the the big beard guy, mm-hmm. and how he shows up later. Uh, the entire dynamics between all four of the main family members get set up right then and there very quickly. There's brief reference to, uh, you know, what's it called? What's going to happen later when they do that great shot where she and the daughter are arguing and it's slowly zooming in on the cameras that are behind them. And you see the dad like get plugged in and he goes and he starts <laughs> doing gymnastics and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. But, like that's such a great thing to like, you're trying to focus on one thing, but there's just something so much crazier happening in the moment that you can't even focus on the drama. There's just so much going on already in their lives there he wants to divorce her that's being set up that whole dynamic of them fighting and not being 
able to like find time for one another. The, the whole idea of her being stressed out and trying to be the problem solver is set up right away. Uh, just all the stress in their lives, the stress between her and her daughter, that whole dynamic is going on because of her un- unwillingness to accept her for who she really is in the beginning. And it just, it's just such a good way to start out the movie. And then I love that the first breath we get is she sits down and she's with all the papers. She sits for a second and then just the big title, everything. And then part one, just like blasts. Mm-hmm. And then it's from, and then from then on, just back right into it. No breaths. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. It's great. I agree. Yeah. It's a great uh, example of just very efficient economical storytelling. Mm-hmm. Cause as you said, they get so much out of the way in terms of characterization and setting up bits that they do later on um, and setting up, yeah, the central themes that they'll be exploring throughout, which are told in that dynamic that the family has with each other. Uh, so yeah, great stuff there. And then of course it leans into the sci-fi elements when she shows up at the IRS. And by the way, this film features the most interesting <laughs> thing that has ever gone on in the IRS. It'll never get more interesting than how you see it portrayed in this film. Um, but yeah, they do a great job of having Wayman, again, the whole plugging in. She has no idea what's going on. We don't know what's going on at this point. Um, and then, again, they're just thrown into it. No time to explain. We just do this, follow these steps. And she does so. Uh, and then, boom, we're in the the main crux of the film of her exploring the multiverse. And I think... The way that they went about doing this, like having that that gimmick of verse jumping by doing the most random, unexpected action that you can do. Yeah. It's just so inventive and interesting. Like I love that they ended up doing it. And I yeah. love how long they kept you like without explicitly stating this is exactly how we're doing the verse jumping. I love that they gave so many examples of them doing that beforehand. So that you mm-hmm. can still be like, What is going on? I still don't understand it, but then eventually you'll be able to tune into and be like, okay, this is what's going on. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just a delight to see that. Um, So yeah, they did a great job using that to its fullest potential. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's so much like kookiness that happens in the beginning and the way that they just go about it without explaining it is just such good setup of like getting the audience to have questions in their head while still keeping them invested in what's happening in the moment so that they can't focus on the questions too hard. And then you can bring it up later and start to solve it and answer those questions while still raising more. And it just keeps them so keeps the audience just so invested in in the story and what's happening as well as keeping them focused on the action of it, as well as the character development of it. And I think it's just such a, just a, a very smart way of, moving that story along in a, in a non-conventional matter that is intelligent and efficient with what they're trying to do. They're trying to do so much in this movie. They're, ta- they're tackling so many topics and they're doing so with like incredible delicacy, juggling between them and taking their time and really finishing out every arc one by one and really, really working towards a very specific goal of trying to tackle everything everywhere all at once. And they just do it so flawlessly. Agreed. Very much agree. Um, and so you had brought up, we've mentioned many times, like great humor in this. And you also brought oh up God, great man. action. And I love that so many times in the film, they are intertwined with each other. The great comedic bits and the great action that uh, leans into it or leads out of it. Um, so first of all, we got to talk about the whole fanny pack 
attack. That was just great. Oh yeah, like, phenomenal action that they had there. Oh, they really yeah. had Kiki Kwan doing that stuff. And that was amazing. I saw an interview of him talking about how they. This is going to that whole bit of the budget. They could only do three takes, and he had been practicing for so long in trying to get a particular move right. Um, mm. And they were like, either we get it in these three takes, or we just don't get it, and we'll have to work around it in the final film. Mm. And the first time he did it, he botched it completely. It was awful, and he was like, oh, great. This is not going to work out well. And then the second time they did it, it worked, and that's the one that's in the film. And it, nice. of course, came through flawlessly. It's just so... So good, that whole thing. Like, an inventive choice to make of, okay, let's have them just utilize a fanny pack um, and use that in order to take down all these police officers around them or the security guards. And it worked so well. Like, the coolest yeah. weapon of this year is going to be a fanny pack. That's very true. That's very true. The fanny pack really made a great comeback in this movie. And not even in, like, the cool way most people wear it where it's around their chest. He's mm-hmm. going full typical fanny pack with it, and it works. It 100% does. Yeah. Um, I also liked, well, the whole paper cut thing worked really well because were you squirming in your seat when that happened? Because both I times I was still squirming. I was like, ah. Some of the people I were was with the third time were definitely squirming. I'm like playing with I was my doing okay. I, I think Fernando was squirming the first time I watched it. I was watching it, and I was like, ooh. But I wasn't like... I wasn't like freaking out because there were people who were near me in all three screenings who were like having very physical, very visceral reactions to him cutting his finger and cutting the in-between parts of his fingers, the webbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, a great use of like that thing, a very random thing. And we're like, oh no, that sucks having to do that. But he has to do it or else he's not going to be able to click into the Bluetooth. Also, yeah. Bluetooth making a comeback. I know, right? No Double AirPods Bluetooth. for them. They have the Bluetooth. I like that. Yeah. Um, and then, dude, the dog slinging thing. Oh. <laughs> Jimmy Slate comes back around. Classic. That was so hilarious. So good. So funny. So unexpected. So he just so gets flung good. off of the leash and just smashes into the like office walls. So yeah. hilarious. That was great. Uh, and then I also like the whole the, it's organic catch up mm, bit. I also <laughs> like that exaggerated, like oh god, don't worry, it's organic. Like that was just hilarious to me as well. Yeah, I think her whole character is very funny. Like I like when they're they're fighting the apartment and she pushes on the couch and she goes ah 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 wow. <laughs> yeah. I think it her is. whole character was great. Like she did a great job. I agree, hundred percent. And then. The creme de la creme of the comedy intertwined with action where they're trying to stop him from using the butt plug or should I say the IRS award for best auditor. The setup of that is so great. She just points to it and everybody knows what it is. (laughs) Yeah. And you're just thinking there's only one way this can come back. And you're just waiting for it to happen. And it's just it's just the best. His the bald guy when he lands <laughs> and it's just like it's like is this very long and intense like dropping that he's doing, and then there's just silence as he lands. And like just like the little thud he makes and, and like the, the turnaround. Dust, the smoke coming the, up yeah, from the impact. Oh, 
<laughs> I also think there's like an aspect ratio change in that cut too, which is hilarious. <laughs> like they go to like the very serious widescreen aspect ratio. Oh, it's so good. There's so many good bits. The one that I thought was funny is when she is finally getting everywhere and she's like traveling across the universes and she goes back to the hot dog one and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is playing with her feet. Yeah. <laughs> and she walks into the room and Jamie Lee Curtis stops and she goes, don't stop playing. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. She's playing with her feet, just <laughs> making random noises, just banging them together. And she's like, oh, don't stop playing. So beautiful. Keep going. Beautiful. Oh, God, it's so good. Jamie Lee Curtis kills it in this movie. She does. I wrote down later on in the final thought section. I was like, well, number one, they all did great. Like, Michelle Yeoh was, of course, great. Ki Kwan, what a revelation, man. That yeah. dude never should have left acting. That was great. Well, and it's his not whole, even that he left. is that well, nobody yeah, hire him. Story, well, it wasn't they wouldn't hire him. It was because all the roles that were offered at that time for Asian actors were not important at all or were stereotypical yeah. so he was just frustrated with what was out there so he went behind the camera and now it was a great story it was because of crazy rich asians which yeah. michelle Yeoh was in he was like okay now there's finally good roles that are here for people like me so i'll come back and then he comes back in this which is amazing yeah so he, i think he kills it he does like i really want this film to stay as an awards contender it's yeah. unfortunate that it's open so early because it might get lost in the shuffle. But I hope yeah, that's what I'm worried. That A24 goes for it with the awards campaign. It's A24 getting a lot is, of attention. It is. A24 is historically bad, though, with that. So yeah. hopefully they'll be able to recognize, okay, this could be a great awards contender. Hopefully everyone will still keep it in mind after all the many months that we have to go until Oscar season. But I would Definitely love deserve. to see. Well, I like, guess I shouldn't say yet. What? Because I haven't seen any of the other movies of this year. <laughs> but I feel like it should get best original screenplay. Yeah. I, just, I haven't seen anything, so I guess I shouldn't say it deserves anything quite yet. Yeah, but it definitely, I think, will remain in the conversation where it I should so. remain. Because, yeah, it's fantastic. And I would love to see nominations for the performances for these people. Certainly mm -hmm. Kiki Kwan, Michelle Yeoh. But yeah, I also said Jamie Lee Curtis. It's just amazing. Like, I did not think she would be so involved at the beginning of the film, I was like, oh, it's a pretty cool like yeah. little role, cameo role. But now that she's throughout this entire thing, and it's so good. She's so good. But one of the things I noticed later on is that she's in the scene when they're in the big white room with the bagel. She's standing <laughs> right behind her. She has no lines. She's just there, just to be a presence there. Like, she's such a big actress, and this is such a small movie, and she has a relatively, like, it's not an unimportant role, but, like, she's not one of the main family, you know? Mm -hmm. So I didn't think she'd be in it like to the extent where she's in an entire scene that took an entire day of filming and just doesn't even have a line. Like just, it's just in the background in an equivalent manner to all the extras. And also all the extras keep popping up in and out fr from different backgrounds of different universes, which is super cool. Like some of the, uh, some of the people standing alongside of her in the white room were the, the guys who were singing the songs at the party at the end. And they're also in the final battle scene. Like, you just mm. see the same people pop up and up everywhere. And it's just cool that they were like, we're going to do extras, but because it's all in the same universe or uh, different universes, but in the same place within each universe, kind of, they should pop up again and again every once in a while. Like, they shouldn't just be completely different extras every time. So it's cool to see the same people just appear in different places. For sure. Yeah. And that goes back to their thinking through every single aspect 
of yeah. the film and the dedication that everyone had on it, like Jamie Lee Curtis being willing to do that, which is great. Her whole entrance scene, I just think she's so funny. <laughs> when she takes the the like the almond mug or whatever and just chugs it <laughs> and then crushes it and throws it down. It's just so good. The the whole fat suit she has on, mm-hmm. just everything about her character is just so funny. When she first, uh, when we first see her verse jump, and she goes, oh! <laughs> and she like yeah. sucks in her gut. Oh, she's just, she's just so dedicated to the movie. And I just love how committed she got. Like, in addition to everybody else. Right. Who had like, she had like a tiny arc that happened about loving about you should feel loved and that everybody deserves love. Like that's sort of like very small arc they have in there for her. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, she's there for moving the story along and being a very strong comedic presence. And she still commits all the way. Mm-hmm. For sure. Which you love to see. Um, yeah. And let's talk about some of the other universes that they had, which again, they're fun. Just getting to see their imaginative spin on what other universes would look like. But then they all, stay around throughout the rest of the film. They're meaningfully tied back into Evelyn's main arc and the overall plot line. It is, you just love to see it. And so we had, what was your favorite universe? My favorite was the hot dog fingers. The hot dog fingers. Just because of all the stuff in the, in the very last act with their feet. When she, (laughs) when like uh, Michelle Yao takes her foot and like brushes back Jamie Lee Curtis's hair with it. Yeah. There's just such little subtle things that I think is just absolutely hilarious. But I think like probably the one that I liked watching the most was the one where she was a karate champion, the mm-hmm. Kung Fu champion, just because it was just shot so beautifully. And all the conversations they have, she has with Wayman is just great. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that goes to like this film obviously draws inspiration from a lot of other films, like old school Hong Kong action flicks, Kung Fu flicks. Mm-hmm. There's, Matrix Matrix inspirations in here, uh, clearly. And then in this particular one that you're bringing up, they took a lot of inspiration from Wong Kar Wai films, who did Chunking Express and The Moon mm-hmm. Love, all that stuff. Yeah, it's just like their take on that. Even down to the I forget what like the technique is, but where you have like the blur. Like it's the, the lower the frame rate. Right? Yeah, kind of. is there not a specific name for it though? Like uh... that technique to do. I'm not sure if it is, but yeah, like that's what they did to achieve that effect, which yeah, Wong Kar Wai did in. Oh, Kings is it Christ. like? It's when like, fuck, what is it called? I don't know. Maybe we'll look at it it's later. Something. It's something. Yeah, but it, it exists. It does exist. Thing. It is a technique, and they. But yeah, when I was watching it after I watched the movie the third time, it made me want to watch it in the mood for love, so I started it. Really? That's yeah. awesome. Have you seen it before? I have not. Dude, it's, it's good. so good. And what they're, like, the ending to that film as well. I haven't I, seen it. I haven't finished it. Beautiful. Just breathtakingly. I'll get there. Beautiful. Did you get to the noodle staircase scene yet, though? No. I'm Where not that far into it. Okay. I'm probably, like, 20 or something minutes into it. Because I had to stop and do something else. Gotcha. But, yeah, it features the most beautiful going downstairs and going upstairs that have ever been captured in film. But okay, yeah, that same feeling of like loneliness and longing that is in in the mood for love and the rest of Wong Kar Wai's films, they use that for the universe where they're successful but not together and remaining in China. So fascinating the way that they'll 
take those spins on it in that more like serious universe. And then in the hot dog fingers universe, um, where she's not with Wayman at all, but she's with Deirdre, which is a very interesting choice they made as well. Mm. Then you have the rocks universe. where They're just sitting on a cliff as rocks. Um, And then the Rakakuni universe, another great payoff. Junior Rakakuni, (laughs) which is great stuff. And I love the, again, the attention to detail, the way they have the setup throughout the first time you see her, like look back at her competition in this restaurant yeah. you can see the, the like, tail, yeah. tail did you see it the first time you watched it the first time no the second time i didn't I see was it looking either though and i was like that's amazing i also saw um, it's very clear to see it too but for some reason you always miss it the first time yeah well because you're just drawn to like the face yeah. nice um they had when they first go into the irs they like pan past the hot dog trollers like whoever had the sign mm-hmm. which of course is another universe which didn't really get brought back up um no that she uses for like the riot shield later on Mm. those skills Um, and then they also had when they uh were doing the little scene where they're showing wayman his uh lifestyle or his outlook on life and all the little things he's doing in everyday life like obviously we Mm. see the googly eyes he also has a little dustpan that has like a smiley face on the back of it like little things like that just scattered throughout the film it's always fun to be able to catch it on our rewatch i just love his character so much like of the three family members when they go through like their uh at the very in the very last bit of the movie when she has her uh discussion with all three of the family members his is just the best it's just the way they combine all the different universes and like the fact that he's so different in each one and they combine like the goofy wayman from the the universe that we know where he's like banging on the bell like what song is this bing 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 <laughs> And like just chasing around joy and stuff like that to like him defending uh, Evelyn, even though she just stabbed him because she was super depressed for right. a very brief instant. And like just trying to ask for him to be peaceful and happy to the universe where he is uh, talking about his philosophy when they're both rich. And he, he says, like, uh, it's not naivete. It is strategic and necessary. It's just the way they combine all of that with the music and the editing is just so like. First, I understand why Evelyn becomes depressed when she becomes absorbed in the bagel and she becomes like, like when she starts like messing up all the universes intentionally, like I understand it. Yeah. And then like, I feel, I can feel her comeuppance when she is like talking with Wayman. She, I can feel like the rise of emotions from the things that Wayman says. And bro, bro, when he says in another universe, I would have really liked to do laundry and taxes with you. Ah. Dude, that hits so hard. I agree. That's what I'm saying. Like that, Such a simple but great line. The first time that I watched it, I didn't really have that like emotional spark that came through. Like There was never a moment where throat tightened up or any tears welled up at all. Mm-hmm. The second time, though, the specific moment where it's after he delivered that speech, after she had stabbed him, and then they're looking at each other, and it has the like colored light spinning around their faces. And then it's intercutting yeah. those moments of her remembering through the course of their life, the little things that he's doing just to like find happiness or like the little joys that he's able to pick out in their everyday life. Yeah. And then she's like smiling and he's smiling back. I was like, this is so beautiful. This is insane. You can feel her falling back in love with him. That's what I'm saying. Like it was the perfect use of filmmaking to express 
that feeling of someone falling back in love. And I was like, that's insane. That's I amazing. Like, like, that is the power of yeah. film and the way that they flawlessly executed that. I was stunned, taken back. It was amazing. I feel like it's so much easier in movies to create a movie that has an ending that is sad in order to get an emotional response rather than create like a happy ending that gets like a real big emotional response. Mm-hmm. But when you can end on a happy note and you still get like a really strong emotional response from the audience, it just hits like a hundred times harder than a sad ending. And this is one of those movies that has just the best happiest of endings that just hits so hard. Cause mm-hmm. you just go through these pitfalls and these rises with Evelyn and it's just so awesome. It is for sure. Yeah, since we're on the topic of like the characters and the themes they're doing, again, as you said, Wayman, like just having a character like that, and again, having the three different variations, but in each of them, he's still living by that same philosophy of just be positive, be kind, find the little things in life that can make you happy mm-hmm. instead of focusing on all the like dreariness of the cruel world. Like he recognizes that that exists. He's not stupid, he's not naive. He just chooses to look on the brighter side of things. And that can make all the difference. Putting little googly eyes on things just because it's fun. And enjoying in that. Like that can that can mean a lot. That can change a lot. So I love that they focused in on that and then had Evelyn eventually come to that same understanding. Um, and then, you know, that plays into her arc where she, as you said, she was brought into the nihilism. She was consumed by the bagel um, and then got brought out of it because Wayman was just able to talk to Deirdre and convince her just by talking, by having a human mm-hmm. connection to be like, look, we're having a hard time. I still like that line where she's like, everyone I know is having a hard time. I thought that was good that they like pointed that out. Like, everyone is going through a hard time, but if we all were able to just talk to each other about it, understand each other more about it, mm-hmm. forgive each other more, have a little bit more of that understanding and yeah. grace for people and things can work out. And so, I also love, I love how like twice, two or three times throughout the movie, he's trying to talk to her and Evelyn is like distracted with something in one way or another, but she keeps, she mentions like there's like a brief line or something a couple of times throughout the movie where she's like, I think my husband's messing things up and you learn later on, he's really fixing things. Like he's just doing it his way, which isn't her way. Mm-hmm. He's doing it through peace and by being polite and taking his time. And like that is like solving the problem where her way doesn't always do that. Agreed. Yeah. She just doesn't understand that that is his way of doing things. And they set that up very early on. Like everything else. They set everything up so early on. I agree. That's a great way to. Great thing to point out because she does multiple times, even in that moment where they're about to go into the bagel and she turns back and she's like, oh, no, I think he's messing something up. And then she comes back through and realizes, oh, no, he just fixed it. Yeah. Despite the fact that she was like cussing Deirdre out and smashes the window with a baseball bat and all that, he was still able to repair that um, even when she was at her worst and most like careless. So crazy, crazy things that they're able to include in those character moments. And yeah. talking about Joy or Jobu Tupaki. I love Jobu Tupaki. Her thing is also great because she is like the character that is consumed with the nihilism of being like nothing in this life matters. It's all horrible. Like she's experienced everything in every multiverse and she's just numb to it all. She doesn't care about any of it. And I love the turn that they do. Initially they set up 
in a more conventional sci-fi approach of, okay, there's this big evil bad that's destroying all the universes out there and you need to help us stop them. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that's not her goal at all. Like that would still function as like a clear, obvious goal, massive stakes. Okay, we can get behind that. But then they root it in an actual character, personal goal of wanting to find a version of her mother that would actually see things from her point of view so that she could have a connection with her mother. That's yeah. what she's been going through all these universes to do. Mm. Not just to destroy them willy-nilly, but to find her mother that can see things in the way she does. And that's beautiful. Like showing that she's just pursuing all of this for that that missing connection that she wants. So good. So good. Yeah. Incredible. And then the last one was Gong Gong. She had well, she does have that like little thing with Deirdre, but it's very small. And it's just about feeling and not like feeling like you're not loved. Cause Deirdre has that thing where she says unlivable unlovable bitches like us make the world go around. Yeah. And she's like, but you are lovable, and like just reminds her of that. And then they have the little hot dog universe where they're in love. It is beautiful. But then mm-hmm. Gong Gong, like the whole thing that she has to deal with him is that she has that same level of uh sort of intolerance that gong gong has she just doesn't know it that's sort of like she's willing to push her child away for being different or making choices that she doesn't agree with and eventually it comes back around where she is seeing from uh joy's perspective now she can see everything everyone wants she can see how futile it is but she's still hurt that gong gong would give her up so easily for something so little as wanting to follow her dreams and so she's willing she's no longer willing to make that choice with joy she she goes to save joy and then gong gong has that sort of uh come up in himself where he comes back around and he's also holding on to make sure that uh uh joy doesn't you know make that choice agreed yeah that was the one on the first viewing that i had the most trouble with i was like what exactly was the purpose of gong gong what was that arc because it mm. seemed like he was more like a plot function in order to be like the alpha gong gong being like hey Let's stick all our forces on to Evelyn because we don't want Joy to continue to kill all the universes. But on the second watch through, I was able to understand what they were doing a lot better. Um, I still think it's obviously like the least amount of attention is dedicated to it. So it's least well developed, but it still, I think, is effective in like everything you just described of Gong Gong did let Evelyn go because she didn't do what he wanted her to do. So she didn't live up to his expectations. And we've been seeing that is the same way Evelyn has been treating Joy. And now she's able to be like, look, young father, whatever you wanted of me, whatever your approval or disapproval is, it doesn't affect me anymore. I understand who I am. I understand these are the choices I make and I'm fine with them. I'm living with them. Same thing with my daughter. She also is messy like me, but She's living her life and I'm going to allow her to do that. Um, and so I like that it served as Gong Gong through Evelyn's actions of being like, okay, I'm no longer as affected by your opinions of me and like mm-hmm. whatever your demanding expectations were. That is the final push that allows Gong Gong to at least seemingly accept both Evelyn and Joy and Joy's girlfriend, Becky. Um, so I thought that was a nice little way that they tied things up there. But one final lingering thing I do have, which I want to see if you can clear up. Sure. 
So Evelyn, we see her whole change. She adopts Wayman's uh, approach to life. She puts mm-hmm. the googly eye on her forehead, and that's how she's finding out with more uh, of a positive approach. Like instead of just being outright violent and whatnot, she's leveraging the universe and the multiverse and whatnot to make the people that she's fighting happy. So of course, like they show that in terms of action, but in the real world, as her going around being like, okay, I'm going to try to find the happiness in life and the little things. Um, so I, I love that way that they extend her character arc. And then when she's talking with Gong Gong, and she's doing that whole thing of, yeah, I messed up in my life and yeah, I'm messy and all these things have gone wrong and whatnot, but I'm not going to let your opinion of that define me anymore. Mm-hmm. She says, she draws a parallel between her and Joy and she's saying she's also messy, this, this, and that. But, oh, the universe also gave us someone who's loving and kind and forgiving and patient and all that to make up for what we lack. Another yeah. beautiful line, I thought. But throughout that time, Joy is like trying to get away. Even when Evelyn reveals Becky is not just a friend, that's Joy's girlfriend. Then Joy rushes away and like tries to go to the car and tries to leave Evelyn forever. Mm-hmm. So I was curious as to why you think that ended up happening. Was it just, was it because Evelyn was still expressing her love in a way that was still like somewhat disparaging? Like we established that early in the film that, oh, when she like criticizes you, that's just showing she cares. Mm-hmm. She's trying to show she cares for Joy by being like, look, you and I are the same. Like, I understand you now. I understand what you were going through. Um, Because I went through the same thing. But she's doing that by saying, I'm messy, you're messy. So it's like kind of an insult in a way. Was it that that caused Joy to want to distance herself and be like, okay, I can't do this anymore? Because it seems like Joy got what she wanted, which was like in the regular universe, she wanted Evelyn to say, this is my girlfriend, Becky, and like accept that, like tell Gong Gong that this Mm -hmm. is an important person in my life. And then in the Jobu Tabaki universe, she wanted a connection with her mother. And it seemed like Evelyn did both of those things when she was saying that to Gong Gong. But again, I don't know. Was it the fact that I she think was still just like insulting to the point where it's like, oh, we're still damaging each other by being close? I don't so know. So in, instead of trying to like figure this out rationally by like picking apart the story, what I felt when I felt her running out and being frustrated because she runs out and then she just screams and like all of the, the nonsense other world stops and it just becomes that drama scene between the two of them. Mm -hmm. To me, it's like she's been experiencing everything everywhere all at once for so long now. And it's been so much pain and she's had no hope whatsoever of fixing it in any way possible of making anything better that the easy solution would just be to go into the bagel and die. And that easy solution seems so enticing that when Evelyn starts to make the right choices and starts to heal their relationships, there's like this glimmer of hope that the hard way is possible. And that's like scary for her. And so she tries to run away one last time. And and that's why she goes into the bagel briefly, because it's not about Evelyn forcing her to stay alive for forcing her to experience everything everywhere at once. It should be about her choosing that over going into the bagel like she has to be the one that decides to stay that's why joy is the one that reaches out and grabs onto evelyn rather than evelyn pulling her out she pulls herself out which is like the most important step from for like getting out of that feeling is at the end of the day you have to be the one that steps through that with the help of the people around you so i feel like it's just her reaction of being like 
this is too real. Like the possibility of me not going to that bagel is now within grasp and that's terrifying. So I'm going to run away and just try and end it all right now. Interesting. That's a fascinating take. But that's just me. Like, that's just what I felt. Like when I felt her like screaming, when I felt like all the nonsense stopping, when I just felt like her pain, it goes a lot to her performance because she's very good in that scene. And then the whole movie, I just felt like that's what like she as the character was trying to get across was that she just doesn't want to make that hard choice anymore because it's just too hard, even though it now seems possible. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a fascinating, fascinating choice. Yeah, that's the one thing that uh, was a lingering like concern for me of like, why exactly did that happen? But I love the way that you described your your thoughts on it. Um, So yeah, maybe when I do go back a third time, I'll try and see we should go see it a third time but we should see it in dolby Mm, the pinnacle of viewing yes (laughs) but yeah one final thing i wanted to throw out there about the themes and whatnot is as Mm -hmm. you said uh like the whole pulling yourself out and whatnot that's something that is certainly the main message like the whole nihilism thing the everything bagel the black hole you go into certainly a stand-in for like suicide ending it all and whatnot saying mm-hmm. that nothing matters and i find it fascinating that this film it's certainly an optimistic like it leaves you with a bunch of optimism it tries to show like hey this is there's so many amazing things about life and just being alive like that's a lot of what wayman does in the film mm-hmm. um, but they still had at the very end when she and joy reconnect in the party universe um, when they're in the parking lot, yeah, they hug and Joy is like, "Oh, this is so awkward." It's like, "What do we do now?" And Evelyn's like, "We can do any anything we want. Nothing matters." I thought that was a very interesting thing. That again, I didn't mm-hmm. catch the first time, but I did the second time, um, and it is still an optimistic message that they're conveying. But they're not outright dismissing nihilism as like, "Oh, just a total and complete evil." Mm-hmm. It seems more like they're saying, "There's a good that, side to it." Yeah, like there is a natural feeling that most people end up at of like, oh, snap, like just nothing matters. This is all stupid. And you might get brought to that point of like where Joe Tabaki is of just feeling like, okay, now I can just be careless. I just dismiss everything in life. They're saying no. Once you have that recognition of, okay, nothing matters, then it's up to you to decide what you want to make matter, what you want to give meaning to. Mm-hmm. So that you can continue living on with your life and enjoying it and yeah. finding the little moments of happiness that you can, um, which I think is great. And that makes it the absurdism bagel is what they're trying to offer to you. So Albert Camus, a man, shout out to him. I wrote a paper, I think yeah, it was bro. in high school or something. I love some Camus. Camus, 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 Camus. I love some Camus. But yeah, I thought that was Camus. really, really fascinating. Uh, that they decided to go that route. So all in all, like through from the characters to the themes they're exploring to mm. the visuals, the cinematography, all the little film filmmaking aspects. Yeah. It just hits on every level. So good. Yeah. It is an absolutely without a doubt incredible film. And if you have not seen it and you listen to this whole thing, which we told you not to, go see it now. <laughs> now that you know everything that happens kinda of. <laughs> Yeah, it will still hit, even though you know what happened. Because we've only I, touched on like ten percent of everything that happens in that movie. 
we've barely even scratched the surface because just so much happens. That's true. But I think we did hit a lot of the, like, the major we, we, hit, we hit, like, the, the major, like, emotional points. For sure. And they were all, again, and, done so yeah. amazingly well. Would you consider this to be, like, an optimistic movie? Well, yeah, that's what I was saying. I yeah, I think it's optimistic for sure. And initially, I was thinking it was more of that outright optimism of, like, never fall into nihilism. But mm-hmm. I think it's a more nuanced approach that they're saying, okay, if you do fall into that, that's okay because you can get out of it by, again, having that realization of now we get to be the ones to decide what matters and we are the ones that decide what we want to care about. Um, so, yeah, that's why I think it still is optimistic, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily demonizing, like, nihilism. It's just saying yeah. you got to get through nihilism and there are better things on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. Because the person I went and saw it with the third time, when we left, they said that uh, they felt like this wouldn't be the movie to like someone who's dealing with some of the problems they address in the film. They said that this wouldn't be the movie to like bring that person to. And I thought like it might be a little intense, like I can agree at that point. But I think overall, it's still a very optimistic take on whatever problems these people are going through. And ultimately, it has a very, very happy ending. Yeah, I would I would definitely disagree. I think this might be one of the best ones because it can feel so distanced, like other than Wayman's speech about like the kindness, it never feels like on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. Or on the nose. Um, So because there's so much other stuff to get wrapped up into Mm -hmm. and to like have that emotional connection, I feel like the messaging can come through even more powerfully that way. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it would be a great thing to, again, showcase anyone, um, but certainly people that are going through that thing, I think, again, they would have a powerful reaction to it and yeah. learn the right messages from it. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't see how a misinterpretation could come from this. I agree. Uh, any final thoughts that you have? Uh, no, I'm, I'm pretty much good. You're good. All right. Now, how would you rate this out of five? Excuse me. Everything bagels <laughs> smothered in nihilist cream cheese. I am giving it a full five out of five. Everything bagel smothered in nihilism cream cheese. What about you? I'm going to give it a 4.9 plus 0.1. I'm going to give it a five too. <laughs> nice. Nice indeed. Incredible. I so, think it's also incredible. I just, I mean, number 18 on my list, bro. A, a yeah. very, I, well, I can't stress you. enough, a very unofficial list. Like, it's not like I went through <laughs> every movie. I'm just going through as I go through and listing them because I think it's fun. In no way is this at all accurate of my actual opinion. But right now it's number 18 on my very, very unofficial list. Yeah, that is very, very impressive. Yeah. Uh, so our first full five of what, 2022? Of 2022 films? Yeah, this might be our, this is our first full five where the two of us both gave it five in like quite a long time. Yeah, I think the last time was like Hitchcock or something. Yeah, um, oh, you're right. I think it was Rear Window. It was. Well, there were two. Well, I think we both gave Rear Window and Psycho, yeah. Fives. Maybe even North by Northwest. No, I think I gave North by Northwest a four and a half, gotcha. if I remember correctly. And then you gave it a five. Yeah. And then we both gave Birds a four. I gave it 3.5, I think. Oh, you're right. I gave it a four. I liked yeah. it a little bit more than you. I just thought it was so much fun. But yeah, this is, we're in agreement that this is an absolute classic. Instant total classic. banger, yes, banger movie, guys. Definitely going to pop up on the end of the year top ten lists. I'm sure. Oh, for sure, top of the list, most likely. Unless there's ten 
even better movies coming out this year. That would, would be, be crazy. Would be incredible. But yeah, go see everything everywhere all at once. It should just remain in theaters for all of time, to be honest. Yeah. In Dolby and IMAX. Yeah. If you can see it in Dolby or IMAX, you should. It's so much better than standard. Anyway, that is all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxofficeshow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. We aren't going to have a new episode next week because I am going to be out of town. But the week after, we should have something real good cooking up for you. Have a good one. Bye.